For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. This is Donna Anderson, author of lovefraud.com and host of the True Love Fraud Stories podcast. Today, I'm interviewing Joan Cloth Zenard. Joan is an expert in the psychological abuse of children. She has a master's degree in marriage and family therapy and is trained as an ADA advocate, guardian ad litem, and a life coach. Joan is the founder of PASintervention.org, which offers information, resources, and support for parents who find themselves being alienated from their children. In our two-part story about Christopher Lum, his ex-wife, Erin, related how the man financially, psychologically, and verbally abused her. Then, the son she shared with him started saying, Daddy hurt me, and the school started reporting possible abuse. I asked Joan to explain symptoms of child abuse and the difficult decisions a parent may need to make in order for authorities to protect the child. So, Joan, uh, we've worked together quite a bit on a few webinars, and you're a real expert um, in the field of uh difficult custody situations. So could you please tell me about your work uh, specifically in situations where children are being abused? Yes. Um, so I'm an expert in a specific form of abuse. It's called, uh, that's a form of psychological abuse. This abuse uses different things like coercive control, gaslighting, parental alienating behaviors, terrorism, anything to maintain control of the children. Um, there is a term for it. They call it parental alienation. I don't really care what you call it. It's it, it, when you impede a child's relationship with the other parent um, by, by when there is no true abuse, that's psychological abuse, turning a child against the other parent for no other reason than revenge. Okay, so Now let's move into the idea of children who are being abused. Okay, so when we talk about children who are being abused, this could be physical, sexual, or psychological. While my expertise is psychological, there is also, it all still falls under abuse. One of the things you have to remember is that the person who's doing the abusing, or what I will call, you know, the courts like to call the perpetrator, they have no empathy. They have no compassion. They can't have that. That's just not in their innately in their um, personality, at least not at this time. Um, you know, and so they don't understand that their behaviors, their actions are not only harmful to the children, but to even to themselves. Forget about the fact that the whole point is to harm you with them. They don't understand that it isn't that they keep thinking this is filling a hole that they have or this 
deep need to be in total control. They don't understand that that need for total control is what drives them. And it's the wrong driver. It's like using a screwdriver where you need a Phillips. It's not the right tool. But that's the only tool they have in their arsenal. It's the only one they learned when they were growing up. So when we're talking abuse, we have to consider the different types of abuses, why they're happening. So and psychological is actually the worst of them all. Because that's the one that the kids can't really see. They don't really know that it's happening. They can physical, they can see it, they can feel it. Physically, they can see the bruise, the broken arm. Sexually, they can feel the abuse, they can feel the physical. Psychological, it's too deep. Don't even know this is happening. That's why it's the worst. Plus, when you have physical and sexual abuse, psychological goes hand in hand with it. The cases I work with, there are no true abuse or sexual abuse allegations. Those are not my cases. My cases are specific to solely psychological abuse of the children or medical abuse or educational neglect. Okay. Well, in this particular case, um, the story that we're talking about, um, it turned out that it took a while, but it turned out that there was actual physical abuse. So what are the warning signs that a child is being physically abused? Okay, so first, I think we should step back one second on a, some statistics that I forgot to give you, which are the fact that, one, 73% to 90% of all allegations of physical or sexual abuse are false and unsubstantiated. This is coming up the works for the true victims, which is why your next question as to why it took so long. Money and resources and time are being wasted on false allegations that true victims need. So what happens is the true victims aren't recognized right away. They might have a bruise, but they say, and the other person says, oh, that happened when you know, they, they they fell and they knocked their shoulder into a door handle, whatever. There's always an excuse. So sometimes that makes it hard to determine if it's true abuse. So while you might see things like bruising, what we're also looking for is are the kids lying about how it's happening? Is there something that's not consistent or feels empty in their explanation of what happened or what the parent's explanation is or the abuser's explanation is? Um, you might be more suspicious if maybe the kids are keeping their arms and legs completely covered so you can't see them. They can't see the bruising or the cuts. You might There might be issues with maybe the kids are constantly absent from school. This might be because a parent has to keep them home because they got a black eye. So, you know, you're looking at unexcused or too many absences. Children that are sexually abused, you will see bedwetting. Uh, because that they there's no control of that area of the body. It's like it's numb. Um, there might be, you might see the kids bullying other kids because this is what they're seeing at home. That's what they're gonna. That's what they're learning and role modeling to do with others. They might be lashing out, attacking somebody for no reason, punching them, hitting them, whatever. They're lashing out because they don't have any place else to express themselves. Or they may become super hyper-vigilant hyper in their grades and in all their activities, feeling like they have to be perfect because they fear being abused. This comes in with the overachieving. 
child who's overachieving doesn't mean they're okay. It could be a sign that they're actually in self-protection mode and so terrified of not being perfect. Then you also have the underachieving who was previously doing great in school and now refuses to work and do the work. That's another indicator that something's going on. It could be abuse. And of course, you know, you have the broken bones and, you know, actual physical signs. But none of this is definitive. One is not, one instance does not mean necessarily abuse. And that is part of the problem. You know, yes, a broken leg. Okay, what, how, how did that broken leg happen? Have they washed the story? Or was somebody a witness who actually saw this person take them and break their leg? This is all dependent. And this is where the problem comes in. When a parent reports, if they don't have solid, verifiable evidence with true, reliable witnesses, they're not taken seriously. And that's why this case got so delayed. So you briefly mentioned um, sexual abuse. What, what are some other signs of sexual abuse besides the bedwetting? You might see um, them fondling themselves. You might see them fondling others. You might see them doing inappropriate role play. Um, you might see them being, more, if it's an older child, or even if it's a 10 or 11-year-old, you might see sexual pro promiscuity or constantly trying to, um, you know, flirt with the other person, with the other with another person, um, grabbing genitals. Maybe they have vaginal infections a lot or do anal, constant anal and anally and raw, or the genitals are constantly raw. Uh, maybe, you know, you'll see a very weird enmeshed relationship with one of the parents or one of the other people or a fear, an extreme fear of not wanting to be alone around a parent. Now, remember, some of this are false positives. In other words, a parent can instill in a child the belief that they've been sexually abused. That child will then believe it and behave as if they are sexually abused when in fact there is no sexual abuse faulty memories. For example, a parent might say to a child, you know, when you were an infant, I caught your other parent sticking their finger in your crotch or sticking your finger inside of you or putting their finger up your anus or licking you. And, you, and what's actually happened is the child had a rash and the other parent was putting medication on it. Forget the licking part. That probably, you know, that would be just another thing they could sit and scare the person. Okay. So we got to be very careful when we're saying, is there sexual abuse? Is there physical abuse? Is You've got to be really well trained to know it can't just be one pattern and things have to not, there can't be any question or doubt. Because otherwise, a child is further abused when they believe that they were abused when they haven't been. They take on the persona of an abused person when they've never been abused. And that affects their whole psyche and mental and emotional development. Hmm. Okay. So in this case, um, the reports came from the school, the, the re reports of physical abuse, um, because the two children were um, essentially threatening suicide and were hurting themselves. Um, so... Who are mandated reporters and what are their responsibilities? 
So first, let's address what you just said, that they were threatening suicide. Okay. So a proper therapist knows to say to the child, so you do understand that if you kill yourself, that you will never see either of your parents again. You'll never see your boyfriend. You'll never see this person. You'll never see that person. And if the child says, yeah, I know that. And that's why this is what I'm going to do to kill myself. Well, then that person becomes a mandated reporter because the child has just threatened to, has stated they are definitely going to kill themselves. Most children who are just saying they want to commit suicide and really have no intention, they're just trying to appease another parent's uh, and are in self-protection mode, they will say, no, 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 no. I don't really mean I want to kill myself. I just mean I'm mad. We got to be careful here. I'm taking it that this was done. That these children, their threats of suicide were bona fide. That they actually had a plan and, and understood that it would mean never seeing the rest of their family ever again. So back to your question as to what is, who is a mandated reporter, it's anyone who's a professional. Whether it be mental health, whether it be a school official, um, sport somebody who plays like a sports um coach anybody who is working with children is a mandated reporter technically guardian ad litem should be man are mandated reporters though that crosses a very iffy line daycare workers and after school programs are also camp counselors are also teachers principals they're all mandated reporters. So who do they report to and what are the responsibilities um, of those who take the reports? The reporter, they have to report to Child Protective Services, wh whatever it's called in your state or country. It's the agency that supposedly, quote unquote, is supposed to be protecting the best interests of the children from harm. What are their responsibilities? literally to make to document what they've seen and then to submit it in a report to the proper agency also if called upon to testify they really should be willing to testify and that is where a lot of the time you'll have a problem they refuse to testify even and then there goes your claims so if a parent suspects or knows that their ex or partner or another individual is abusing a child, how should they interact with the state child protection agency, especially given all the um, awareness of all the false claims? Okay. So if a person suspects that their boyfriend or their husband is abusing the children, first things first, you better get that person out of the house because otherwise you're going to be held for child welfare endangerment okay that could be very difficult to do unless you caught them red-handed doing it and you say please i think it's a good time for you to leave so that i don't have to call the police and have you arrested please voluntarily leave the house right now i we, let's go to therapy let's figure this out but if you don't leave i don't have a choice and you have to document that you have stated this to this person and ask them to leave and they're not leaving. Because otherwise, it can get flashback on you that when well, you left the kids in that situation, you knew that they were abusing the child. You left them there. Okay. So 
that's number one, making sure you're not that it's not going to backfire on you because you've left the children with this abusive person. Because then they're going to say, well, you left them. Then I does. It seems to me that you weren't that scared if you left them with this, with this abusive person. So how about the case, which is what happened in this story, where the parents were already separated and um, the father had visitation and, you know, the kid was coming home and, you know, saying these things were happening. Um, so what does a parent do in that situation, you know, in order to work with the child protection agencies to prove their case? All right. So first age of child is going to be important. That's going to depend on some cert- on certain things. Child's mental acuity, any learning disabilities. All of this has to be taken into consideration and a proper person, caseworker, be there listening. Also, we have to remember, do we have a child, you know, you, I, in this case, it happens to be an autistic child. So what level of autism? Are we a high-functioning, low-functioning? functioning means that they really can't speak for themselves and so yeah maybe the like in this case the kid starts coming home and they're uh, they're irritated they're scratching themselves but they're not speaking up does that mean they were sexually abused no you're gonna have to have them properly seen by a doctor to confirm that you can't just assume it a doctor a medical professional must make a fact finding of sexual abuse because there are certain things that are very normal behaviors for children. And when you're talking a child who's autistic and maybe is very delayed in his responses or his development, one of those things that young, young, young children do at the age of three, four, three, four and five years old is to fondle themselves, to rub themselves. Now, if this is a severely autistic child, they might not do that until they're 12, 13, 14, maybe never, you know, or maybe never understand or they're doing or in one case we have where they're doing it all day long because that's the only thing they know. It has nothing to do with sexual abuse. It has to do with their body. So it has to be medically diagnosed by a professional who can definitively state that this child is being sexually abused. For example, torn anal, anal section, um, penis issues like maybe um there's a rash or it's red or the child keeps you know there has to be more than that what does a parent do and i'll look if you you believe that you need to bring the child to the doctor say and you don't tell them what it you think it is you need to say look he's been doing this and this i don't know what that means i'm a little concerned um let the doctor tell you. If the doctor doesn't say physical abuse, then you can ask and say, hey, could this be a sign of, of, of sexual abuse? Let the doctor be the one to make that decision, not you. You're not the mental medical health profession. Um, so another thing that's also important here is the state child protection agencies they have responsibilities too. They have a responsibility to do a thorough investigation. And if their thorough investigation is fraught where they haven't talked to everybody, they haven't talked to all the medical professionals, they haven't done a complete investigation. Why? Well, maybe it's because the child admitted that nothing happened. Reason for them to waste time and go any further. That the, and the child had told them, oh, I'm only, I only said that because my mom told me I had to say it. 
then they're not going to go any further. Okay? Because they're wasting time and money. But if the child doesn't, then they have to talk to all the medical professionals. They have to have their own, they may have to have their own medical expert in sexual abuse weigh in, forensic, maybe. Um, I think that's important for people to understand. You know, Child Protective Services has a job that has certain criteria that must be met for them to make a determination themselves. Um, The biggest problem for parents in reporting stuff is the lack of valid, solid, verifiable evidence that proves there is a form of abuse going on. If you make a report and it comes back unsubstantiated, I strongly advise not making another report because it starts to look like you being the vindictive parent. And that is not okay. That is what gets you into trouble. That is where parents lose custody of their kids because they make too many complaints. They keep coming back unsubstantiated. It's malicious and vexatious and is looked at as such. So you say, well, then how? what am I supposed to do if he's being abused but they didn't figure it out the first time? Because the second time, you think it's happening. You've done the right thing and brought the child to a medical professional who can determine yes or no and determine whether there's actually a problem or whether this is developmental. Okay. So how do abusers manipulate the children into not revealing what they are experiencing? This is it this goes across the board, whether it be physical or sexual sexual. They will reject them. Claim and like the, if the kid mentions, let's say it's a parent, if the kid mentions the other parent, that parent will turn around and t- tell them, I'm not talking to you. They will literally physically reject them, roll their eyes, walk out of the room, reject them because they've mentioned the other parent. Terrorize them. Tell them, if you ever mention that parent's name in this house again, you'll never see the light of day. Or if you keep, t- if you think you're going to go live with your mother and still live here, you can forget it corrupting they might say they might tell them well you know if we do this you will never have to go there you tell them that your mother abused you you don't ever have to go there you know you're you know if you don't want to have to follow mom's rules why don't you just tell them that mom mom's abusing you and that she's being too strict then you won't have to do it teaching them to lie to corrupt them or in one case, how about the Michelle Narrator case, where the father actually convinced his daughter to help him murder, murder her mother? Great one is denying any form of affection or stimulation or hugs, literally being unresponsive. You know, the kid, kid's crying and they won't even hug them. They won't go, you know, they abandon their emotions to them. There's no emotional, so that the kid is desperate for that parent's attention. Um, there's also where a parent doesn't parent the same each time. He's oh, it's, it's only it's what they call unreliable and inconsistent parenting. But it would could be something as simple as you know on Wednesdays when the parent doesn't want the kid going to the other parent, they will claim that the child is too sick. But on the days that she does want to get rid of the child and the child is really sick. They send the kid to the other parent, to the child. There's no, there's no, um, it's not consistent 
and doesn't, you know, match every single time. It's only good. It's uh, the parent will parent what's what fits and works for them at that moment and doesn't apply the next moment. A parent will neglect their physical, mental and emotional health. They will or even ne educational neglect, you know, They'll use letting the kids stay home from school as a way to conjure up, a, you know, that the child has more authority or that the child can manipulate. If the child wants to stay home, if the child refuses to see the other parent, the child can stay home today. Okay. Or telling the kid, well, you know, you don't really have to go to go to counseling or making the kid go to a counselor who specializes in domestic violence when there isn't even any domestic violence. Um. Isolating is another great one. They don't, the kids don't seem to have any friends. They don't hang out with anybody or the people, the only people they're allowed to hang out with is their parent, that parent's best friend's kids. They're, they're completely sheltered from the real world. Exploiting, using the kids to their advantage. For example, they might um, claim that they can't go or do anything because of the kids. They're exploit when in reality, the kids have nothing to do with it. These are just, these are the main ways a parent uses psychological abuse to manipulate a child. Maybe we kind of discussed about this before, but it's a, a slightly twist, a different twist on the question. Um, in this particular case, there were many reports of child abuse, and it got to the point where the state investigators thought that the children were being coached or they were just seeking attention. So is there anything else that a parent can do to convince the investigators that the abuse is real? Stop making the complaints. The minute you start making that many complaints, it's a huge red flag. If, you, if the old adage of if, you, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, does not work in domestic violence, it actually causes the reverse. It, causes the, it becomes the boy who cried wolf. And if there really is abuse going on, just like in this case, she reported it so many times, nobody was listening to her anymore. Or him, whoever it was. Uh, it was a mother. The, no one was going to listen to her anymore. It had to be a mandated reporter or something so serious that it caught somebody's attention, other than the mother reporting it. Well, actually, this was a case where they... Uh, it was the mandated reporters. The reports were coming from the school that, you know, the kids were self-harming. And um, I mean, that was the main thing. They were self-harming. But they could have been self-harming for a lot of reasons. For example, I have numerous kids who self-harm because they're being psychologically split. They're being told they have to, they can only love one parent and must hate the other parent. They feel extreme guilt. They feel torn in half, literally psychologically splitting. So they start cutting to relieve the pain internally. So cutting doesn't quantify as being abuse. It just means the child is having some kind of psychological issue that needs to be looked at and addressed. There is some reason that they have a need to self-harm. The younger boy who was the one... Um who is on the autism spectrum, uh, got older and was able to provide more details about what he was experiencing, which he, he couldn't do when he was younger.
There was your definitive, verifiable evidence because he was describing things that he probably wouldn't have otherwise normally had in his arsenal. And that was also one of the reasons they thought the kids were being coached. But once he got older and they felt that he was able to articulate what was going on, that his words had more value. What's the best way to protect your child then if you suspect, um, you know, that the abuse is going on? Good question. Unfortunately, it doesn't have a good answer. The answer is we need to stop from filing false allegations of abuse. When this stops, or we hold those accountable who file more than once claims of abuse and they keep filing and filing and they keep being unsubstantiated, there needs to be penalties for those people. Stop being worried about the parent who, where their true abuse is, because the truly abused parent is not going to, is really, shouldn't, is not going to keep reporting it this way. They're going to figure out that they need a professional to be reporting it, not them. And one of the reasons parents report and report and report is because no professional will tell, will state that it's abuse. They keep reporting it themselves. It's not, and that's a red flag there too. The best thing to do is if you think your child's being abused, get the family into therapy. Say, listen, you know, I think, say to, say to your ex, listen, you know, the kids are acting off a bit. Would you mind if the, we go to family therapy or we talk and we maybe because I would like to make sure that the kids, you know, that they have a healthy boundary with both of us. You know, find a way. No, you're dealing with a narcissist. They're probably not going to agree to it, but throw it out there. Maybe have a pediatrician weigh in and say, hey, I think it's important that we get the family into therapy because if the children are having some issues. See, there's different ways. And that's part of it is knowing that no matter what, even if this person is truly abusive, they have problems of their own and they need to be in therapy. And while they're narcissistic and they may refuse to go, at the very least, if there's a court order that everybody's supposed to be in therapy and doing the work to introspect, Maybe somebody will hit on something. Maybe it'll. Maybe it will. And it means tells the person that they're being watched. If they're in counseling, they're being watched. So if the kids come back with a complaint, now the therapist can address it with that parent. Okay. So I guess the idea then is, if you have a suspicion that someone that your other your partner, your ex, whoever it might be, is abusing the child, any type of abuse, the idea is to get professional documentation and therapy, and, and that's the best way forward? I'm not telling you you're not going to report stuff and things aren't going to happen. What I'm trying to tell you is that we need to be more aware of how and what we're reporting and how it's looked at and viewed, because it isn't just, you know, a simple process necessarily. You know, there's, and like I said, it's too easy for these people to, um, for false reports to make it look like it's a true report. It's way too easy. It really is. Hmm. All right, Joan. So if people want to find out more about your organization and your services, what can you tell us? Well, they can reach us at pas-intervention.org. Um, there will be a spot there where you can become a member or at least contact us and ask us some questions. Um, that is probably the best way. And I want people to walk away with understanding, look, 
is this okay if somebody's abusing another person? No, it is not. But the problem is understanding the process to report things. The proper, so that you don't get, so that if it really is true abuse, you're going to be hurt. The children are going to be hurt. No one's going to listen to the boy that cried wolf. And by the time they do, like with the boy that cried wolf, it was too late. The kids were traumatized. All right, Joan. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, your insight and knowledge and uh, especially understanding the pitfalls of you may think you're doing the right thing, but then there's other considerations that people need to be aware of. Uh, it's a pleasure, again, you know, being on the show with you, Donna. Um, I'm always willing to do q and I'm Donna Anderson, and this is True Love Fraud Stories. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Joan Cloth Zenard. To learn more about her organization, please visit pas-intervention.org. For links and other resources, please visit the page about this episode on podcasts.lovefraud.com. True Love Fraud Stories is produced by lovefraud.com. Engineering is by Terry Kelly. To learn how to recognize and recover from everyday sociopaths, visit lovefraud.com. And for more information about this story, other great stories, or if you'd like to share your story, visit podcasts.lovefraud.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.